church. How you doing? I know that a lot of you guys are enjoying the, the good weather outside, and since we're tuning in for another episode of the Armchair Theologian, I thought that I would um, bring it outside. So I don't know if you can see, but I got the armchair, and uh, well, as close to an armchair as I can get in, a, um, in an outdoor chair, and uh, surrounded by nature with the sun on my face, and hoping to uh, enjoy some of this nice vitamin D weather as we um, roll into summer. I know a lot of us are, are, are itching. You know, the weather is, is great. Everybody wants to get back together. I know a lot of people are saying, when's that going to be? When's that going to be? Um, just be patient. Uh, we're trying to follow the guidelines, and right now we just don't have any new guidelines from the governor. Um, they're all trying to get the restaurants slowly opened again. Uh, I was out at uh, one of our local restaurants and speaking with the manager um, yesterday, and I asked him, I said, how you doing? He said, I'm doing about 25%. And, uh, of course, it was a little bit of a joke, but it was also kind of sad. Um, and he felt uh, he felt frustrated because, you know, he has employees, he has people he cares about, and um, he also has a business he's trying to run. And it's not easy when you're um, restricted to only 25% of your capacity. So be praying for our businesses as they're trying their hardest to uh, weather this uh, storm. Be praying for those that are hit uh, the hardest, you know, the folks that have the least um, cushion that can um, can deal with this. Um, continue to pray for those that uh, might be uh, sick. Um, pray for those that um, could get sick. And uh, always lift up our missionaries and church planters and pastors um, as they are uh, doing what God has called them to do. So with that being said, we're going to turn right to um, our study in First Peter. Uh, we've been going through First Peter now pretty pretty steadily as we're dealing with some of the um, some of the basics of an inductive Bible study. Um, you'll notice that uh, we've been talking quite a bit about what an inductive Bible study is. It's like basically three phases. Um, the first phase is just simply um, the investigation phase. You know, just the facts, ma'am. What's what does Scripture say? We just read it. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, don't read anything into it. Just give me the facts. Boom, 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 boom. Um, this is Peter talking. Peter is <clears throat> he's in he's in Rome. He's writing to the churches in Galatia, um, and what is he actually saying? And then after that um, comes the uh, sort of the, the 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 deeper phase where you start to to go into the 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 depth of it, um, try to extrapolate what's being said. You're looking for keywords, um, you're looking for repetitions, you're looking for um, phrases that are been that are that may be difficult to understand in the English. You're also looking for any quotations from other passages as you're going to try to figure out where Peter's mentality is, where is he drawing this from. And then the final phase, the third phase, is the practical. How can we apply that um, to our daily life? And so the bulk of this uh, series, this uh, teaching on how to do an inductive Bible study, is uh, to help facilitate that. And so what I'm really going to do is move rapidly through first phase because that's really the basic phase. And we're going to move right into the second phase. Um, and then I'm going to leave the third phase to you 
at home with your family, your friends, and anyone that you might be in contact uh, with when you're watching this. And, and you can do this virtually by doing a watch party on Facebook. Um, you can do it with the phone. Um, you can just do it through um, email and other um, uh, social media venues. Um, as always, I'm going to be posting the discussion questions in the comments uh, so that you can, you and your family uh, can look at these questions as the study goes on. So, that being said, I'm going to pull out my Bible and we're going to open up to the book of First Peter and we are going to dive into this. Um, as you know, Peter is one of those interesting books. Uh, we only get three chapters and so, you know, we're moving pretty rapidly through it. This week we're going to be focusing on 1 Peter uh, verses 11 through 25, but um, I'm just going to be reading the first couple verses um, in, in this 11 and 12, and that's where my focus is going to be um, so that we, uh, you guys can continue on uh, in your own time frames and read the rest of the passage. Because in an inductive Bible study, it takes time. And if you could do this in 20 minutes, then it's not really an inductive study. So I really just want to focus on the first two verses uh, that, you, that I'm asking you to deal with today, and that's 11 and 12. Uh, so I'm going to read that to you. Beloved, Peter writes, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Um, and so that's the that's the first couple of verses. You say, well, that's that's kind of basic. You know, how can we draw from that? Well, the first thing we need to look at is Paul is Peter is, is talking about two different things. He's talking about battling and witnessing, right? And so that's like the essence of our walk with Christ is this battle and this witness. We wage against not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And in this time frame that we're fighting these battles, if you will, spiritually, not just within but without, as the enemy is seeking to do what he can to destroy families, to destroy churches, to destroy communities. And make no mistake, Satan does not want this community or this church to succeed. And there are a lot of churches that when we start to roll back into, um, into meeting, People are going to have to question, why am I going to this church? What was the value that I received? How can we continue to receive what we had received in the past um, in the same way or a different format? And there are some people that are going to come out of this thinking to myself, thinking to themselves, you know, I quite enjoy uh, doing church in the living room with my cup of coffee and my pajamas and my big screen TV and enjoy that kind of a fellowship. And if that's the case, we may see that church is going to, at least First Baptist Kenai, may have to change how we deliver um, what we're trying to deliver, which is the message of uh, the gospel. And so Peter's talking about that, the battle that we have to fight and then the witness that we have. Peter is summoning us in the beginning. You can see that in the first passage. He's summoning us to... Um, uh, where does he say this? He goes, Beloved, I urge you um, to abstain from the lust, the fleshly lust, lust, which wage war against the soul. And so he's looking at that as um, the battle. The battle really is an internal thing. He's encouraging us to fight that. Um, he's asking Christians to live a kind of life, an exemplary, exemplary life, the kind of life where good deeds um, takes the forefront. And then there's a reason for it. A lot of times we always wonder, why are we doing this? Why are we fighting this fight? What's the purpose behind this? Um, 
And oftentimes you get the idea, well, I'm living a good life because I don't want to, um, uh, I don't want to go to hell or I don't want, um, uh, I want to get a crown of life or there's other reasons. But the reality is the, the most important reason why we're, that we uh, do the good works that we do is not so that we can build up good cred with Jesus, right? It's not so the Holy Spirit can say, oh, you're such a good person. It's not so that we can we can earn, if you will, our salvation, although that tends to be a lot of the motivations, whether we think that that's the case or not. The reality is we do this so that we can be a witness to the community around us, and that's what Peter is saying. He says that our good deeds ought to provoke unbelievers to be able to glorify God in, in what Peter calls the day of visitation. Um, it was it was Peter's hope, and I know that the other apostles also felt the same way. You can you can read it in in between the lines in a lot of the epistles, uh, especially when you read uh, James and some of the smaller letters uh, where they talk a lot about good works. The idea that we're saved unto good works. So the purpose is, is to is to a give glory to God and b be able to point the unbeliever to God in order to give glorification to um, to that. We should we should live a life that's morally pleasing and. Beautiful beautiful, not just to God, but to those people around us. And that's what Peter is trying to say with this. So verse 11 and 12 sort of functions as an introduction to those, to the verses that call, come after it. It's a call to mission, right? It's reminding us what we're supposed to do. I often love, I, I just love reading Peter. Um, most theologians, myself included, believe that Peter was um, the main source for the book, for the gospel of Mark, and that Mark himself, uh, the writer, was um, was Peter's um, amensis. He was his uh, secretary. And so, um, when you read the book of Mark, it's this no-nonsense, what I call bare-knuckle, blue-jean uh, gospel. It's the everyman gospel, right? And so Peter now is giving us this this second look, you know, another touch, if you will, in First and Second Peter. And this is another one of those no-nonsense street a street gospel. It's 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 where the nuts and the bolts of um, of our Christianity is. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't mince words. He doesn't go into to highfalutin theology. He's just down and dirty, like I call it, bare-knuckle uh, gospel. And so, and you can see that in the very first, he says, I urge, the, Gr- the Greek there is parakaleo, I urge. And you get that, 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 that whole guttural sounding, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm crying out to you, please do this. Um, uh, do what I'm asking you to do. Whenever we see these urges that come into this, uh, we're getting, um, uh, we're getting, uh, recalling some of the other passages of the New Testament where Paul does this in Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, Philippians 4, um, Philemon verse 10. We get this idea that I'm urging, I'm, I'm strongly encouraging. It's, it's the force of, an, uh, of, a, of a command without a command, right? It's like my fervent, most, most utmost desire is this. It says parakaleo is the word. And, um, and then he gets into the word beloved. I was reading the New International Version, don't judge me. Um, trying to get uh, an idea of what um, uh, of what this uh, what this how this could be translated. I try to read two or three different versions when I'm when I'm looking at at how the different uh, translators did, and and for some reason um, they just didn't do it well. Well, a lot of times they don't in the new new international version. And so if you're reading the New American Standard and it comes up with the word beloved, it is probably the best 
translation of this word. Um, it's agapeteo is the word. It's, it's, a, it's a form of agape, which gives you that love, but it's that precious beloved of God, the chosen ones of God. It's his people, Messiah people, right? And so this term is going, is, is drawing all of that love that we get, that divine love in and saying, okay, here it is. You are the beloved of God. You are the chosen ones. You're the ones that I'm talking to right now, right? And so we see that as, as, as Peter is, is sort of just drawing that information out. Beloved, I urge you. And then the next passage, he says, as aliens and strangers, right? And so he uses both of those words. They're two different words. It's it's paro, pararikos and then paradi, uh, paradis, di, di, parademos. Um, they're together. Um, aliens and strangers is what he's trying to do. And what he's doing is he's recalling um, an echo of the Old Testament. He's going all the way back over Moses, back to the beginning, right? Back to Abraham, the founding of the of, of the of the beginning, really, if you will, of the of the Israelite line, the seed that's going to eventually become uh, Jesus. That's that promise that Paul talked about, where you know, my seed is what um, God promised uh, in the original um, the original uh, uh, prophecy. And that Abraham's seed, his individual seed, Jesus, his ultimate seed would be the one to destroy um, the the bonds of sin and death. And so he's going all the way back to Abraham. When Abraham described himself as an alien and a stranger, we see that in Genesis chapter twenty-three, verse four. Now I looked in some of the some of the study Bibles, and I didn't see this um, this link. So you may not see it there, but it's definitely where it comes from. Um, he's also drawing in from the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 39, verse 12, where the psalmist David writes, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers, right? Powerful statement that Peter is trying to uh, trying to draw from. So this is the language that his original hearers, whose only Bible at this point would have been the Old Testament. They would have they would have clung to the book of Psalms. Jesus himself loved the book of Psalms. His last day on earth um, as, as, a, as a man before he uh, rose from the grave and moved into an area that we can never fully comprehend until we step into glory ourselves. Um, he left the, the that final supper with his apostles, his best friends. He walked towards the garden that would begin that walk towards Calvary um, in a very earnest way. The Bible says he set his face towards the cross. He was moving in that direction. Is at that point he left that upper room, pr- singing psalms, right? Singing songs from the book of song, uh, the book of songs, the book of psalms, um, with his apostles. So we know that this was something that the first church love the early believers love they clung to the book of psalms and so when he reached in that and echoed from the book of psalms uh, chapter 39 and abraham's words in genesis 23 we see the ideas that he's trying to bring out it's the language of strangers and exiles and it's being appropriated in this theological way and given a new significance to the readers who in many ways were like foreigners because of their allegiance to jesus christ because because Jesus said, I have a new kingdom. I have a new new kingdom that's going to be beginning. And you are my members. You are the people that are part of this kingdom. And so, you know, that being said, 
we see um, that Peter is latching onto all these different things. I heard one theologian said this um, in a quote. He said that it was precisely the precarious legal status of foreigners that provided the closest analogy to the kind of treatment that Christians could expect from a hostile culture in which they lived. And you say, well, how hostile it was. At this point, they weren't killing Christians on a regular basis. Well, here's the thing you got to remember is that the Christian faith, for the most part, eschewed the religion of the day. They walked away from the religion of the day, which was a polytheistic culture that was the norm of the Roman Empire. And when they said, we are going to follow Jesus Christ and Jesus alone, he is our God, as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are gonna, we're going to worship this three-in-one, this triune God, um, when they did that, everybody else in their community that were focused on the multiple gods of the Roman Empire were looking at them saying, you are pagans. You are unbelievers. You don't believe in the religion of everybody else of the day. And so it would be a kind of ostracization of the regular Christian that we'd see, much like we're seeing now in our Christian walk in America, where as Christians we are increasingly moving into a quasi-hostile work and social environment, where Christianity is no longer accepted as the norm. And that's the world we live in. So Paul is getting into, or sorry, Paul, Peter is getting into the second uh, passage, um, verse two, verse 12, where he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. In the New King James Version, he reads it this way. He says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. But the New American Standard, I think, is a better translation for this because it says, keep your behavior excellent. Um, he's, he's using the word keep there because he's bringing out the, it's a kind of um, imperative. It has sort of the force, but it's really not an imperative. It's a different type of um, speech. Um, and so the word there, conduct, is anastrophe in Greek. And it gives out the idea that this is almost an, it's, it's almost an imperative. We want you to do this. We know that it's not going to be possible every day of every minute, um, but this is the goal. It's an aspirational imperative, I would call and believe me, when I say this, remember now, I'm the, I'm the armchair theologian. I'm not a serious theologian. And so for me, I'm just going to call it, um, I'm just going to call it sort of that aspirational imperative. It's the kind of imperative we long to do. Um, and so this is the thing that we need to remember. And Peter um, was summoning the believers to live a life that would have a level of excellency uh, because he wanted them to fight this battle, this campaign, if you will, of, 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 of spiritual self-defense in a way that was different than, say, what we see today. Um, he wasn't asking them to write uh, volumes of, of books and treatises to defend themselves. He wasn't asking, asking them to pass out tracts on the corner. He wasn't asking them to stand on, on soapboxes and preach every chance they got. He was asking them to defend their belief based upon the pursuit of virtue and goodness. The idea that their goodness should be so apparent to all society that they have no choice but to uh, give glory to God. And the final bit of this is the arguments that um, that sort of come out in the final passage of 
verse 12. And we see that where it says, glorify God in the day of visitation. Everybody wants to know what that means. Is this an eschatological concept? Is this talking about the end days, which is what eschatological means, this final judgment, if you will? Or is Peter talking about simply a uh, concept of salvation? And I think that if you read this in the Greek and you start looking at... um, Uh, what Peter is making reference to throughout this entire book is it's not referring so much to a an end time eschatological concept as it is to a um, day of salvation idea that um, he wants that visitation to be he's referring that is to the time when salvation will be visited upon an individual we know that salvation only comes from God and God alone we receive salvation but we do not earn it or do anything for it um my Calvinist brothers and some folks that are that are um, a little more in a direction that I just can't quite embrace, and this is the area we differ um, in the idea that uh, uh, some of the Calvinist brothers say that simply saying a prayer and asking for salvation is a work, and I don't agree with that. I believe that there's something about the gift, the free gift of God, that when he hands it to you, you have to reach out and take it. You can't just say, okay, drop it in my lap, and I'll, and, and I thank you very much. You know, you can't, it's not thrust upon you. It's not forced upon you. It is something that's offered as a gift and has to be received. And that's how we receive him when we pray to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now, I'm sure that some of the comments out there, some of my Calvinist brothers are going to like, you're misrepresenting us. And if I am, please forgive me. The goal here is to, uh, is to glorify Jesus. And-